Moffat Nathanson says traditional pay TV is being crushed by overlapping doom loops. We look at how sports, news and entertainment are locked in the loops too. Listen on to learn more. week's edition of Inside the Stream. This is Will Richmond from Video News, and that was Colin Dixon from Handscreen Media right there at the beginning. Hey, Colin, how is everything going? It's great, Will, and uh, I know that this week we're going to try and contain ourselves. We have gone a little long, I think it's fair to say, in the last couple of episodes, so we're going to try and contain ourselves to, uh, well, at least within 30 minutes, right? Yeah, I mean, I think if we've gone long, it's entirely your fault, Colin. You, you really need to be. <laughs> I take no responsibility. And of course, the other problem is we have no editor here. We have nobody that we have to be accountable to who says, you guys are at the 29, 30 point, 30 seconds more, and then wrap it up. Instead, yeah. we just drone and drone and nobody here to tell us to stop doing that. Yeah. So this week, we're going to self-police ourselves try to stay to 30 minutes. Let's get going with news items. You're going to go first. I am. And we got final details of Max, which is the combined service of Discovery Plus and of HBO Max, which WB Discovery will be releasing next week on the 23rd. All you people who already signed up to HBO Max will get it automatically. And uh, the details, nothing was a big surprise. We've got three tiers of service at $9.99, $15.99, and $20, $19.99. But we did get two things, and this is really why I wanted to mention this, this item, Will. We got two things resolved. One of them was the ad load. Now, the Discovery content is currently available through Discovery Plus at an ad load of 10, 10 minutes or more. And the ad load in HBO Max, of course, is a market low of about four minutes, three to four minutes an hour. And so I was wondering how they were going to resolve that. Well, they say that they are sticking with the three to four minutes an hour. So that discovery content, if you watch it on Max, is going to have a much, much lower ad load level. So that was thing one. Thing two, they have decided that they are going to release the content that appears on Discovery channels like Home and Garden TV, Cooking Channel, etc. First run content will be available the same evening it airs on Max. Now, this is a big change. If you're a Discovery Plus user, you know this. You can't watch the most recent episodes until basically the end of the season. Well, on Max, you will be able to watch it the same night. And it occurs to me that this is probably a great uh, benefit if you are a Discovery Plus user and have been wanting to cut the cord but have been hanging on to it so that you could watch the most recent episodes. Well, now just pay five bucks more and you can watch it on Max same day and maybe jettison your $100 pay TV subscription. So uh, that's a, an interesting move by the WB Discovery and that will all be available on the 23rd. So let's just recap that for a second, Colin. Current HBO subscribers who are ad-free pay $15.99 a month. They're now going to get added to their uh, package at no extra cost. The full Discovery Plus lineup of shows, the library, 
Everything. Yep. And and on top of it, as you just said, they're going to get essentially day and date access to new programs that are available across the portfolio of food, HGTV, Discovery, et cetera, day and date access, no extra fee. And if they want to lower their rate, they could take the ad supported package that's a light ad load, four minutes per hour, give or take, as you just said. Um, seems like early holidays have come for the HBO Max subscribers out there to the extent that they care at all about this program. That's that's correct, Will. This is another great benefit. And I think it's going to be, well, you're an HBO subscriber, so you're going to get all of this stuff for free. Uh, I mean, that's a pretty good benefit, right? I guess. I mean, I'm an HBO Max subscriber. I don't, I'm not a viewer of the other stuff, the food and the HG, etc. So it's not going to mean a whole lot to me. But I think they're betting on the fact that it is going to mean something to a whole lot of people who are going to either be existing Discovery Plus subscribers who are now going to step up to Max or are Max subscribers that want to watch some of the Discovery stuff that they haven't in the past. And that's going to help with retention or possibly acquisition. But I, 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 you and I have had this, I mean, I feel like to some extent we're being redundant here because we've had this discussion so many times in the podcast. I, it's not obvious to me that the math of all this works at all, but they're doing it anyway. Yeah. So I hope it works for them. That's all I can say. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. 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 I did a, I did a pretty de- uh, deep analysis of the content that will be available, how much content will be available, et cetera, on my other podcast, the End Screen Noise podcast, Will. So if people want to get a lot more detail there, they can. But i got to tell you that it stacks up from purely from the amount of content and high quality content available it stacks up pretty well against the the big guys including the new disney doer which is the combination of hulu and uh, and disney plus i guess a question on my mind this is more of a theoretical question but might be interesting for us to just spend a moment talking about if you could imagine what two different spreadsheets look like and what their likelihood of achieving the bottom line outcome you know, at the last row of the spreadsheet says one spreadsheet is what we're talking about here, the Warner Brothers Discovery spreadsheet on the questions that we're asking about the role of Discovery Plus, what impact that's going to have, et cetera. A different spreadsheet uh, from Netflix that shows what the likelihood of success is going to be for enforcing this new account sharing, taking away account sharing, and that that ultimately resulting in more subscribers and better retention at the end of the day. Which spreadsheet, Colin, would you say has the higher likelihood of success of those two spreadsheets, the outcomes that they're looking for? And I think Netflix. I, I yeah. think ultimately, yeah, some people may cancel out of spite, but if Netflix continue to produce decent content that people want to watch, they'll come back. And they'll end up capturing quite a good proportion of the people who are using it for free. They will recapture them. If they like the content and they were using it, they'll pay and they'll come yeah. back. I agree. I, I would put my money on that spreadsheet having a successful outcome uh, way sooner than I would put my money on the spreadsheet of the Warner Brothers Discovery folks. Yeah. And I'm, you know, everybody is, I'm sure everybody's being deliberate and smart and cranking and all their assumptions, sensitivities, etc. It just seems like at the end of the day, I, 
I think that Netflix spreadsheet has a much higher likelihood of achieving the outcomes that that they're that they're hoping for. I agree. I agree. But anyway, in the and, interest of staying within that thirty minutes, yes, yes, you have <laughs> you have a news out, out, out item of which we are both very proud, right? Yeah. See, it takes less than two minutes for us to already be long-winded and deviating. <laughs> it's unbelievable. We really we need an editor badly, a producer, somebody, yeah. somebody out there help save us from ourselves because we just can't cannot do it ourselves. Anyway, um, yeah. So this week. We, um, uh, World, W-U-R-L, um, shared a new product announcement called Content Discovery, which you and I, shameless plug, had the opportunity to write a supporting white paper for. And World Content Discovery is all about helping content companies, streamers, streaming services, generate either more well, ultimately generate more revenue, whether that's through an ad-supported model or through a hybrid model or through a subscription-only model. And, and the primary way that it does that is by helping other streaming companies, streaming services, place their ads in front for specific content in front of viewers who have a high likelihood of wanting to watch that content in the first place and therefore start a subscription or download an app or whatever containing that content. And the core of it is essentially machine learning that analyzes data sets, uh, viewer, viewership graphs, and then is able to target specific environments, specific streaming services, ad inventory, and other inventory for that matter, to identify the most likely viewers. And it's, I think, in a way, a emulation of what we've seen in the digital world, the playbook, the performance marketing playbook that Google, Facebook, others have run so successfully, where they're able to target specific audiences based on their knowledge and understanding of what those audiences are interested in, therefore able to generate a essentially formulaic return for marketers using that mechanism to advertise their products and services. And I think that's essentially what Whirl is trying to do and is going to do in the CTV and streaming space. So you and I had a lot of fun writing that paper. It kind of captured a lot of what we both believe is happening in the broader world of streaming, in the huge problem of content discoverability that viewers have services that contain content they have no idea of or they don't even know what service has content that they might like in the first place we're all you know sort of the benefits of this bounty of riches billions tens of billions of dollars that have gone into content creation but at the same time we have kind of a paradox of choice situation where there's just too many options we don't find them easily they're not presented to that us they are not presented to us in a readily accessible way. And that's all essentially what world content discovery is addressing. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see how it unfolds. Yeah, I do too. And uh, we'd include a link to that white paper when uh, we publish these uh, this yes. podcast on our websites. So if you're listening yeah. to this through your podcast manager, just come to either Will on my website and find this posting and you'll be able to find that white paper. So the thing I really love about this, Will, is it really taps into something that uh, is, is has been persistent with discovery, I think forever, and that the most successful way 
to that people use to discover new content is ads in other content and this uh, this this tool really helps producers of content tap into that that successful marketing strategy of putting ads in other content and i can just say there's a ton of interesting information in there and data which i think really sets which really sets up the the way the market is right now and why it looks so interesting such an interesting opportunity for content discovery so uh, anyway we're we're yeah. both really play out of the paper and people should come grab it we are we don't we don't do many of these types of papers colin we're pretty selective about what we get involved with and um you know often well i shouldn't say often but really a prerequisite of us being involved with something is when we believe that there's actual value in the marketplace and we're not just shilling yeah. for stuff that we don't necessarily believe in. So this was one of those moments. Uh, I also had an opportunity to do a quick 10-minute video interview with Ron Gutman, who's the CEO of Whirl. I'll put a link uh, to that up also on the post. And um, you know, Ron is very articulate about the problem that they're trying to solve and how they go about doing it and how it's beneficial to marketers and to content and to programmers, the people who are making the decisions about what content to create in the first place. Very articulate about those things. Yeah. So why don't we leave it at that, Colin? Let's yeah. get into well, what just say, you want to talk say about one more. I oh, just want to say one more thing about that. Here we if, go. <laughs> if, you, yeah, if you're at the TV of Tomorrow Show next week uh, on Thursday, closing out the show, I have great panel turning discovery into revenue earner for your business. And I have Craig Hiding, who is head of corporate strategy for World, on that panel, and I'm going to be I'm going to be peppering in with questions about this new solution. Anyway. Okay, let's let's move on, Colin. Doom loops. Doom Doom loops. Go for it. Doom loops. Doom loops. That sounds really (laughs) catastrophic, Colin. You're you're making me nervous. What's a doom loop and what's going on? Well, this uh, this was something that our friends at Moffitt Nathanson came up. They came up with. They gave the results for the first quarter of 2023 with traditional paid television and it was not pretty they basically said that by their calculations uh, traditional pay tv operators lost about 2.3 million subscribers and i would also say in years past that that has been partially offset by growth in the virtual mvpd market but it doesn't look like there was any Uh, bruce leishman put out his assessment of q1 and one of the things that he mentioned was that the only virtual MVPD he saw growing was uh, YouTube TV, and it was a modest growth of about 300,000. And all the others were down well more than 300,000. So it looks like overall, even if you add those in, it's still a big loss, so 2.3 million. But anyway, what they wanted to do was they really wanted to illustrate what was going on in the market why things were accelerating and they are accelerating in Q1 2022 the industry lost about 2 million so 2.3 million this this quarter so it does seem to be accelerating and they came up with this delicious phrase doom loops to describe it and they described two doom loops one was they show how core cutting simultaneously drives TV programmers to disinvest in traditional TV and invest more in their streaming services. And that and that sort of cycle fuels cord cutting. And they also talked about another one where the cord cutting forces fewer viewers to, to fewer subscribers rather to shoulder the burden of sports licenses, which leads 
to increased fees for those sports as they try to, as the sports try to maintain their revenue, which pushes subscription fees up, which drives more core cutting. So I thought they were pretty interesting. And as I thought about it, well, I was able to come up with yet another doom loop, which is where entertainment viewers defect from traditional pay TV for SVOD, leading to more viewers spending more time with SVOD and fast services, which boosts ad and subscription revenue for those services, allowing them to spend more money on content uh, and better content, which in turn drives more core cutting. So we're, we're in this multiple doom loop cycle, which is really driving the acceleration in the loss of pay TV subscribers. By Moffitt Nathanson's calculations, we are well down below 50% of pay TV households, of, of traditional, of TV households rather, with a traditional pay TV subscription. Now, this is the cycle which their doom loops uh, so eloquently describes. Well, for sure. <laughs> no arguing against those. That's, um, I mean, that's all stuff that we've all been observing happening now for years. And maybe what's new here is that it somehow feels like the results from Q1 23 have either accelerated these trends, put an exclamation mark on them, amplified them to a point where there's just some renewed or brand new recognition by companies in the marketplace. I don't know exactly how to articulate it, but it does feel like something has happened over these past three months and the coverage around it. Maybe it's amplified by the layoffs that have occurred in the media business and the tech business for that matter. But um, that's kind of my perception of things and how this relates to the second doom loop, the fewer subs bearing the cost of sports. This is one that you and I have, I know we've talked about before, but I think is really something that's going to keep a lot of people focused, a lot of energy devoted to this because there are just so many dominoes that fall if the sports TV ecosystem starts to waver, which I think we're already obviously well into. It's not a matter of starting to waver. It is wavering. The cracks are clear for everybody to see. The real question is, what are the consequences? What are the dominoes? And I just, I don't know, Colin, I continue to believe that as with most things in life, there are basic laws that govern behavior and economics. And all of the laws of economics are, you know, the fundamental laws of economics are well behind us, all written by your ancestors, I should note, not necessarily your direct ancestors, but all the all the Brits, Adam Smith, David Ricardo, James Mill, uh, you know, all these guys, and of course, Newton with his laws of grab. I mean, it's all well understood. The only real question is, Anytime there's a deviation from the standard laws of economics, how long can that deviation continue? And for what reasons is it allowed to continue? And we've seen a fundamental deviation from the laws of economics in the world of pay TV, where a bundled price essentially masked what the value of any particular channel within that bundle was. And the most extreme examples of those, of course, were the sports channels, the most expensive 
uh, and yet only watched by a certain you know group minority of the viewers that law that um, sort of deviation from the fundamental law of economics is now being undone as a result of the internet just as the internet has done to every other business where there were fundamental laws of economics being violated the internet has cleaned up the situation and brought things back to the kind of the nature the natural order of things that's what we're seeing in sports right now and it's just hard for me to believe that some of the consequences that are going to result from this are not going to be in the form of reduced player salaries reduced franchise valuations etc you simply cannot kick out a huge leg in the revenue stool of the sports business and expect that somehow life is going to go merrily along or that somehow the nature of streaming is going to completely compensate for the artificial uh, elements of the pay TV world. I, I don't think that's a fair expectation. So I, I'm, I know lots of other people are as well, very interested in how the dominoes in sports are going to fall. Yeah, yeah, me too. And th the thing is, Will, you are already, we are already seeing the market move with sports. Um, so I, I guess just a couple of things that showed up in the news this week was that Peacock NBCU signed uh, a special deal with the NFL for 110 million. They're going to get an, exclu an exclusive wild card game and the, in in the, the next season and that game i'm it's really going to be exclusive exclusive it's not going to be on tv it's not going to be uh, anywhere except within peacock and they paid 110 million for that i don't know how that ha helps that service get to profitability but uh, they're certainly doing that um, and of course we also have amazon with thursday night football and YouTube from uh, with Sunday Ticket. So there's that. There's also news floating in the Wall Street Journal that Disney is now starting to add words in all the contracts that it signs with with sports providers for ESPN to make sure that that content can also show up in ESPN Plus, which is following through on something that the head of ESPN said last week which was that he could see a day in the not too distant future when espn goes direct but that one that one had me a bit puzzled and i think it probably had you a bit puzzled because i think both of us don't really get the the classic broadcast espn model in the streaming world right it doesn't it just doesn't seem to to translate espn seems to be a complete artifice of the artificial cable environment and when as that environment evaporates the the need for an, an espn approach evaporates with it right there's only one person uh, that i've ever observed in all the years i've been at this that has ever been essentially able to bend reality to his will and that's Steve Jobs. Nobody else has ever been able to just keep saying something that defies reality and get away with it and, and persuade people that their reality is the reality as opposed to the real reality being the reality. He's the only guy that was able to do that. And I, I don't know, I read, as you did, 
the comments that uh, Murdoch made about the value of broadcast and their resolve to keep sports on broadcast from the Moffat Nathanson conference earlier this week. And I don't know. I just read it and go, all right, okay, you know, who's next up in the ostrich parade? Because there's no, there's just sticking your head in the sand, denying reality is not going to make it any less real. So I don't know what their larger game plan is, but I, you know, unless I were an investor in ostriches, I wouldn't be particularly enthusiastic about anybody, any company that's led by somebody saying that. Right, right. And, and as we, we mentioned, Warner Brothers Discovery, uh, David Zaslav, he, he has been bewailing the DDC market. Um, but, but even he now is making moves the as we as we noted earlier with Max that sort of give give fuel to the core cutting yeah. trend. Yeah. Uh, so contributing to the doom uh, loop. I, contributing to the doom loop. Yeah, in other words, yeah, absolutely yeah. contributing to the doom loop. Yeah. So I don't know what Lachlan Murdoch is thinking, uh, but it certainly seems that the market is thinking something else completely. And uh, you know, one of the things that's really interesting here, Will, and I've thought about this i I think at some point and it seems like that point is approaching much more quickly than people think the the whole big bundle cable model really does just fall apart that there simply is not enough value anymore in that model to justify subscribing at all for almost everybody and i think there was that we've been walking around with an assumption that this is going to take decades to unfold i'm actually beginning to think it won't take decades to unfold the these doom loops are really accelerating the process here we are at less than half of homes with a traditional cable cable satellite or telco tv subscription and you know, I see no slowing at all of this trend um, with the major major sports properties now migrating to streaming. Uh, there doesn't really seem to be a, any any safety net for pay TV in place at all. I think it's a really interesting question you're raising, Colin, is just what is the timeline here of the kind of great unfolding that we're watching? And I think back to an analogy here, which is that there was a time that I'm sure many of our listeners will remember when the major TV networks and studios were all licensing their content to Netflix in a classic moment of short-term thinking, right? They were grabbing for the Netflix money as fast as they could, heedless to the fact that Netflix was building up its value proposition on the back of their content, which ultimately was going to have a serious negative consequence on them. And, you know, there were executives that disparaged Netflix left, right, and center about being a place for reruns and uh, Albanian army and all this other just absolute utter nonsense that these industry leaders said, even as they collected Netflix's checks and accelerated their march into being painted into a corner. I see the exact same thing happening here where there's some sense that somehow sports is going to be impervious to these larger forces and this kind of short-termism thinking, if you will, that they can raise their rates and raise their retransmission consent fee rates 
and that somehow they can defy the natural laws. It just doesn't add up to me. And I think to your point, the, really the main question is starting to become not if, but when. You know, how long is the timeline now? Because the, every time I read a ridiculous comment, I'm like, okay, that probably just accelerated the demise even further because it's another person who's not grappling with reality and trying to avoid building a strategy that might have any sustainability to it. Yeah. Yep. And I think one of the, the other chinks in the armor that Lachlan Murdoch pointed to was news. And, you know, that they continue to stand pretty four square behind traditional pay TV with their news products. But I got to tell you, Will, that's on the same same route. The the creation of fast and the success of fasts with linear channels in the marketplace has been so fast. Now we're beginning to see local TV news stations also signing up and providing their content on the fast services. We're seeing pretty much all the major networks, including Fox, I should note, do have news channels available on the on most of the fast services. Uh, so I don't even see news as a backstop either. And, uh, you know, uh, everything that people could want, at least a facsimile, a facsimile of what they had under pay TV is available and often pretty much what they had on the pay TV is available in this in this world as well. Yeah. Now, I will I will admit that it's a little less this little less organized. It's a little harder to figure out where the channel is that you want or at least where a channel is that's carrying the content that you want. But, you know, that'll get sorted out here in a couple of 3 years, I think, and it'll be a lot more organized and a lot easier to find what you're looking for so yeah i got a feeling that there really isn't uh, certainly the two that Lachlan murdoch pointed at sports and news they aren't a cushion at all well for sure with news colin i mean that that's already an old story old old story because it takes a lot less skill to stand in front of a mic and read a one minute package or a two minute package and cut in some video some b-roll uh, than it does to execute a behind-the-back pass or a fast-break dunk or hit a 99-mile-per-hour 99 fastball. Those are extraordinary skills of extraordinary athletes who end up getting paid extraordinary amounts of money for what is essentially a singular product. Reading the news or editing a wire feed is not something that takes extraordinary skill. And now we live in an age where people don't even care. A lot of people don't even care what the actual facts are. So they're not even looking for somebody for an article to be reported with accuracy or facts or depth or anything. They're just looking for something that uh, uh, reiterates their own worldview. So where the business model is in that is completely beyond me. And I think anybody that thinks that news is somehow going to be the savior of uh, pay TV bundle is really is really smoking too much of their own. And a lot of this reminds me, Colin, I have to say, you know, I love, as you know, as a lot of people know who know me, I, I love certain quotes from certain movies that I feel like really capture essential truths of life. And one of my all times is in The Godfather, 
when uh, Tom Hagen, played by Robert Duvall, goes to visit the studio executive, Jack Waltz in Hollywood there, because he wants Johnny Fontaine to not be involved with a movie, and Waltz is beside himself, and Waltz says to him, a man in my position cannot afford to be made to look ridiculous, and he says it with a great accent, ridiculous, and then Tom Hagen says, my boss doesn't ask twice, and the scene cuts to, of course, the classic epic scene of Waltz waking up with his beloved horse's head, bloody head in his bed, and no dialogue at all other than Waltz's terrified shriek that echoes through his empty mansion and the empty valleys and everything else. Um, I say that because there are a lot of very important people with a lot of money out there uh, involved with the sports business who do not like and cannot afford to be made to look ridiculous. And yet, at the same time, unless there's some injection of reality in this market, there are going to be a whole lot of people that end up looking ridiculous. People who are paying top dollar for currently, as we speak, paying top dollar for franchises, renewing deals with their star players for top dollar that are ultimately going to look ridiculous. And, and that is going to reverberate as those people look ridiculous who can't feel that they can be made to look ridiculous. That's going to reverberate around to everything in its path. And that, I think, is what's ahead. I do think that's what's ahead for everybody. Yeah, I would agree, Will. I would agree. I mean, just ESPN, you think about the billion dollars a month that that company earns from some subscription fees. Um, that's... Basically, you know, that, if that ends up going away, they won't be spending that bill, the twelve billion a year on sports rights fees anymore. And I'm not sure that anybody will be receiving that money because this ESPN model really doesn't seem to work online anymore. So, but anyway, I think there we have it. We've talked about doom loops and we've talked about why. Uh, we think that they, these doom loops are set in place and uh, really dragging the pay TV industry down now. So I don't know if we got inside our 30 minutes, but uh, we certainly did get to grips with them. Well, if we have one last minute, one more sub minute res uh, allowed, a quick shameless plug for the fourth annual CTV Ad Summit coming up with almost 25 speakers uh, where we're going to be talking about happy topics, which is how <laughs> advertisers, consumers, streamers, everybody else is going to get a whole lot more value out of advertising going forward, make the consumer, the viewer's experience more positive, and hopefully, instead of a doom loop, start creating some real upside loops where uh, people are going to be a whole lot happier who are spending money and people who are receiving the content and the ads on the other end. And that's all I'll say about that. Lots more on the video news website. Sounds great, Will. Okay, Colin, great chatting. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and more next week. Inside the Stream is a production of in-screen media and video news. All rights reserved.